This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granillo. Washington is a great example of reopening correctly. So says an epidemiologist from Arizona. Washington really, it took its time. You know, you did it in a very slow, incremental process. That's Dr. Saskia Popescu. She's an infection preventionist and a professor at the University of Arizona. And she spoke with Kiowa Radio's G and Ursula. In Arizona, we really went from zero to 60. So we not only reopened very prematurely without meeting any of the gating criteria to do so, but then did it so quickly that... You know, suddenly one week we had closures and the next week everything was open again. So it really didn't give us time to make sure that we weren't stressing the system. She says the big problem around the country is that once we start to see any kind of decrease in cases, we tend to get very anxious and we think it's okay to get back to our normal lives. And that is not the way to stamp out a virus. So to me, Washington is a great example, like New York, of how to do this correctly. And a lot of that involves patience and taking your time to to, you know, do it right. And Arizona, unfortunately, is a case study and not um, what not to do. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of people are going to disagree with Dr. Popescu <laughs> and say Governor Inslee and the state are overreacting and abusing their authority, Dave. Well, let's take advantage of hindsight, Aaron. In hindsight, we know that the time to have shut things down would have been back in, what was it, February when we got those the first outbreak of yeah. cases and yeah. they realized how contagious it was. We probably would have shut down, I don't know, for a month. And then if we had been able to control travel in and out of the state, a a big caveat, uh, we could have gone back to normal conceivably. Okay, so now uh, we're not in that same situation anymore. It's too late to do that. But what we do know from that lesson is that just because the cases are dropping doesn't mean they've disappeared. And we clearly know in the absence of a vaccine This virus is infectious enough that one super spreader who then spreads it to, let's say, five people who then spread it to five people. You can do the math in your head. It grows so fast that I think people have to understand the safer it gets shows it's working, but is not the all clear. I think a lot of the criticism against what we've been doing in this state has to do with a lot of the earlier responses from Governor Inslee. For instance, they say he was hypocritical by allowing government construction projects to continue, but stops private contractors from doing their jobs. Or the protests that happened outside of the Capitol, people who were calling Inslee, again, you know, overstepping his authority. And he was not okay with that. He called out those prets- he called out those protesters, but then said he was fine with, you know, the racial injustice demonstrations. Yeah. I don't understand the distinction between which construction crews could continue building stuff and which ones couldn't. I don't see any any uh biological reason why state construction's okay and private construction was not. I don't get that. I just try to keep it simple. We should have done everything at the outset to prevent the virus spreading from person to person, whether it was wearing masks or whatever. The, the thing I don't get now is why we're still using just the cloth masks. There should be by now, it seems to me, a supply of the real N95 masks, which protect you as well as others and are, are much more effective and would, it seems to me, allow for more stuff to reopen. But apparently, I've been told this, I've tried it myself, been told by listeners, you go online, try to order one. You can't find them. I'm still using the ones that I bought years ago for for, uh, sawdust. That's the one thing that still confuses me. 
Could New York's current housing markets be a warning of what's to come in other big cities like Seattle? The New York Times is reporting that the number of apartments for rent in the city is at its highest rate in more than a decade. As more people move out, the surge in supply means landlords are dropping rent by an average of 10 percent there. Dave, you spoke with uh, Windermere's chief economist, Matthew Gardner, recently. What did he tell you about our housing market? He said in terms of housing purchases, it's still fairly robust because a lot of people have taken their homes off the market, uh, I guess, waiting for better times. So prices kept up. In terms of uh, rent, that seems to be a downtown phenomenon. So in other words, office rents are probably under pressure to go down. There is not yet an indication that residential uh, rents are under that same kind of pressure to drop. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear that there's not much pressure to increase them either. I've been thinking about this because of all of the people who are now working from home. What happens to all those skyscrapers in downtown Seattle? What happens when the businesses realize that they can save a bunch of money by not leasing space and just telling their employees to just work from home from now on? Yeah, well, I mean, you've got that. You've got the the hotels as well, which are yeah. looking for for ways to use their rooms. Some of them, as I understand, have been used for people who are homeless. And maybe that's the future of some of those uh, office buildings as well. Uh, I have no idea how long some of the investors in these in these huge developments can hold out before they would have to either sell the buildings or figure out a way to repurpose them. I don't think anybody knows. It's the same thing with uh, transit, right? We don't know until there's a vaccine and, and uh, people feel it's safe to go back to work whether you're going to have uh, the same numbers of people filling the trains as did before. Same thing with the buses. That's um, I'd love to uh, crystal ball, but uh, I have no idea. I'm a renter. And I often look at Zillow, right, and mm-hmm. uh, and these other sites to see how much homes are and see how much I really can't afford in this city, right? I'm driving through Beacon Hill uh, this weekend, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking to myself, these, a lot of these are rundown homes. A lot of these are not mm-hmm. updated. And I know, because I look on these sites, that they're all worth six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars yeah. There's no reason for them to be that much. So with the pandemic now forcing a lot of people out of big cities and people realizing that I don't have to live in Seattle anymore, even if I do work here, I can move out and get more bang for my buck. Is all of this leading to a big bursting housing bubble in the city? I don't know if it's a bubble. It may be real. Because the suburbs, there were, there were a number of articles about the death of the suburbs, right? Because millennials are moving back to the city. It was more exciting, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't miss the backyard. They were going to use parks instead. Well, with the the uh, jump in telecommuting, I can see where this is actually a lifeline to the suburbs, where you might see young families decide uh, to to move there, not just because of the yard now, but because they consider it to be safer. Bad news for Seahawks fans. The Twells will have to cheer for the Hawks from afar, at least to start the season. Because of the pandemic, the team says its first three home games will be held without fans at CenturyLink Field. Let's talk about it now with Paul Gallant, co-host of Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is going to be weird. It really is. We've seen a sneak peek of it with basketball's playoffs. In basketball, the crowd matters so much during the playoffs more than at any time. It's been weird the last couple of days having no crowd there to watch players getting on fire, heating up. With football, it's even going to be more strange because 
defense is such a big part of the game. Having the crowd at your back, making it difficult for the quarterback and his offensive lineman in front of him to communicate. And maybe more than any other team, Aaron, the Seahawks not having that home field advantage, they might be missing out on fans in the stands more than any other team in the league. When I was talking to a G. Scott today, G. said, uh, I was asking about the what the effect of the crowd might be or the absence of the crowd. And he says, you know, Dave, every morning a football player wakes up with those those aches and pains that are just inevitable when you play a contact sport like that. But it's the roar of the crowd, the presence of the crowd that makes them uh, push through that and play the game. So in other words, he's saying that the crowd actually does have a uh, like a therapeutic effect on football players. What do you think about that? There's that too. I've heard Chris Long, former NFL player, for the Los Angeles Rams, a defensive player. Talk about that. To have that at your back, it's like sails with wind at their back. All of a sudden, you're in a crunch time situation. It's third and short. The game's close to the end. You're gassed. Some of these guys put in so much energy and effort over the course of a 60-minute game, especially if the thing ends up going to overtime. It's going to be something that the players definitely miss. It's going to be weird, and it's going to put those guys that are in those situations, the defense, at a disadvantage, especially if they're playing in front of that crowd that normally is at their back. What's the deal with the rest of the league now? I think I've heard Jerry Jones and the Cowboys say they will have fans. I mean, shouldn't the NFL at this point just have a blanket policy for the league? You would think. I think at this point, Aaron, it makes so much more sense to just say, yeah, there's not going to be any fans in the stadium until further notice. But some teams are just not all the way willing to do that yet. I get it, but I mean, I think we could have made this decision a couple of months ago. It doesn't make sense right now. And they've talked about the idea of pods where groups of people maybe go to the stadium. They're distanced from other pods. And it's people that I imagine know each other in some way, shape or form. But even then... You mean like family and friends of players going to games? Is that what you're saying? Not of players. Uh It's just they won't bring Uh in fans to the stadium. Oh, I see. Okay. But they will all sit to themselves. I'm not sure what it will look like. There's just going to be an isolated pocket of fans in one area and then Mm. in another area all over the place. That's what's been discussed because that way you can maintain social distancing. But in stadiums where you've got so many places that, let's just be honest, aren't clean. (laughs) It's going to be really hard, I think, to envision any fans in the stands at least enjoying the game in the way that we've traditionally come to expect. Not to mention price gouging. Oh, yeah. That's going to be something else, too. Would you want to go to a game in something like this? No, no. I wouldn't either. And it's just not going to be the same. You're not going to have that same kind of tailgating feel before you're going to get into the stadium. You're not probably going to even be able to buy those overpriced drinks, foods that you typically could when you get in because, again, of all those keeping things clean, things that you can't really 100% do to the same degree that you'd like to. I just am quite confused that the NFL has not decided to fall on the sword and admit defeat. Paul Gallant, co-host of Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thanks. Thank you. We will be back tomorrow and every day after with a 10-minute rundown of the daily local news. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can also find our news coverage on MyNorthwest.com or listen live at 97.3 FM.